Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. p.m. on Sunday, February 18, 2018. Good evening there, everyone. This is Mr. WCWS Chad Henshaw of the WCWS Radio Network right here on TalkShoot.com. As we, of course, get set to do promo number 252. Of course, as always, we'll be bringing you, of course, the lineup for our shows here in the WCWS Radio Network here for this week. As well as, of course, bringing you, of course, wrestling history for today, which will actually be in two parts. So it'll be a little bit of an extension of our wrestling history this evening, as well as, of course, some wrestling news tidbits that have made that are making this, the rounds uh, right now. And of course, more will be reported, of course, starting with Raw Radio tomorrow evening, tomorrow afternoon. So let's go ahead and get things here going here, ladies and gentlemen, <clears throat> with, of course, our wrestling history here for today, February the 18th. And ladies and gentlemen, of course, uh, just to give you a, <clears throat> just to give you a heads up right here, uh, let me see here, uh, let's see, uh, yes, and ladies and gentlemen, of course, but just to give you a heads up here, one event did take place that we did not mention uh, <clears throat> that we did not mention during Power Hour yesterday afternoon. Uh, we wanted to let you know that a year ago yesterday, we did actually lose a a special WWE Hall of Famer in George the Animal Steel. He passed away on February the 17th of last year at the age of 79. Of course, our thoughts and prayers are still with the family, of course, of this great WWE Hall of Famer. He is indeed missed by his wrestling fans, his family, and, of course, his friends as well. Let's go ahead and get things going here with our wrestling history report, like I said, for today, uh, February the 18th. 33 years ago today, which would put it at 1985, WWF presented the war to settle the score from Madison Square Garden in New York City. The event, which aired on MTV, would essentially serve as a hard sell for the inaugural WrestleMania. 
The in-house crowd got a full event, while the home audience only got to see the featured bout, which was Hulk Hogan versus Rowdy Roddy Piper for the WWF title. At the time of its original airing, it was the most watched show in the cable network's, cable network's history. However, it would also be the last time the WWF show aired on the network until 2001. MTV wanted a, sh- a share of the WWF in exchange for doing more specials. Needless to say, Vince McMahon declined. The MTV would do wrestling themed special episodes of some of, of some of their shows. It wouldn't be until 1998 when the MTV aired an all wrestling show again when they aired the Ultimate Video Bash, an event marred by awful wrestling in a driving rainstorm. And here are the matches that took place at the war to settle the score. Johnny Rod defeated Jose Luis Rivera. Billy Jim defeated Rene Goulet. The Magnificent Morocco defeated Salvatore Bolombo. Moondog Spot and Rick McGraw fought to a 15-minute time limit draw. David San Martino defeated Moondog Rex. Nikolai Volkov defeated Sweet Hansen. Delaney Kai defeated Wendy Richter to win the WWF Women's title. Barry Windham and Mike Rotono defeated the Assassin and the Spoiler to retain the WWF Tag Team titles. Paul Orndorff defeated Tony Atlas. Jimmy Snuka defeated Bob Orton. And Hulk Hogan defeated Riley Piper by DQ to retain the WWF title. 29, excuse me, 29 years ago today, which would put it at, uh, let me see here, uh, uh, forgive me here, let me, uh, let me make sure I have my dates here right. I do believe that would be 1989. Fame women's wrestler Mildred Bliss, who was best known as Mildred Burke, sadly died of a stroke in Northridge, California. She was 73. Born August 5, 1915 in Coffeyville, Kansas, Mildred worked as a waitress on an Indian reservation in New Mexico as a teenager. At age 18, Mildred left for Kansas City, Missouri, and married her boyfriend. After her boyfriend took her to a wrestling event, Mildred took an interest in the sport. An office stenographer by day, she trained by night under famed women's wrestling trainer Billy Wolf. Hoping he would get Burke out of his hair, he instructed a male wrestler to body slam her. Burke, who was well-developed in the muscular department, body slammed him instead. Wolf trained her and over time realized she was the student he'd been seeking. Over time, the teacher-student relationship became a husband-wife one. In January 1937, Burke would defeat Clara Mortensen to win the women's title. Despite having a very beneficial marriage financially, he the successful manager, she the successful wrestler, Wolf was a known womanizer on the road, often enjoying the companionship of the women with whom he traveled. Eventually, his extramental affairs would drive a wedge between the two and ultimately into divorce. The two divorced in 1952. Immediately, Burke was frozen out of the NWA. The group attempted to reconcile their business dealings, but only agreed that one would sell out to the other. Burke would sell to Wolf in August 1953. Wolf boldly declared himself to be the booker for Burke and her stable of wrestlers. This would be quickly going to dispute with Wolf, citing Burke was violating, violating a binding agreement that she would not compete against him. As women were banned from NWA yearly conferences at the time, Wolf would get to make his case, but not Burke. In the end, at the September 1953 meeting, the NWA declined to recognize women's wrestling, giving Wolf his stake in Burke Attractions Incorporated. Many of the women sided with Burke and refused to wrestle for Wolf. Burke would make her case in a November 1953 letter 
famous she would work with 12 grapplers instead of just one that Wolf claimed. Emotionally exhausted, Burke wrestled Wolf's daughter-in-law, June Byers, in August 1954 in Atlanta. Because of the genuine heat between the two, <clears throat> let's see. Let's see. It became a shoot fight. With Wolf's influence, he had a friendly referee for the bout. Burke gave up the first fall, but the match ended during the second fall when officials called the bout. Burke technically didn't lose the title, but the press didn't see it that way. Byers was recognized as the new champion. Burke started the World Women's Wrestling Association in Los Angeles and returned there and still called herself the World Women's Champion, though the NWA declared June Byers the champion. Burke vacated the belt when she retired in 1966. The belt would be revived in 1970 by All Japan Women's Pro Wrestling, AJW, and would become their top championship until the promotion folded in 2005. Her efforts would also find another Joshi promotion, a worldwide Women's Wrestling Association. Burke ran a women's wrestling school in Encino, California. Her most famous trainee was Rhonda Singh, who would go on to success in the WWF as Burke Fay and also Monster, Monster Ripper internationally. Burke would be personally inducted into the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame inaugural class in 1996 and the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame in 2002. 23 years ago today, which would put it at 1995, Eddie Gilbert sadly died of a heart attack in his apartment in Ilsa Verde, Puerto Rico. He was just 33. Born Thomas Edward Gilbert Jr. on August 14, 1961 in Lexington, Tennessee, Gilbert always had a love for wrestling. He began his career in 1979 as Tommy Gilbert Jr. in honor of his father. He would make up booking sheets and matches like his idol, Jerry Lawler, while Gilbert was in school. He had a cup of coffee in the WWF in the early 1980s, but a serious car accident derailed his push in 1983. He would return to the company with the inspiration of then WWF champion Bob Backlund. After leaving the WWF in 1984, he would wrestle for Mid-South and CWA Wrestling as Eddie Gilbert. Gilbert and Tommy Rich as Fargo's Fabulous Ones would win the AWA Southern Tag Team Championship. After splitting up, the duo had a brief but intense feud before Gilbert left the Universal Wrestling Federation in 1986, where Gilbert arguably had his greatest successes. Hot Stuff, Eddie Gilbert, <clears throat> he formed Hot Stuff International Incorporated, which included a young Sting, also Rick Steiner, Ultimate Warrior, Dick Murdoch, and Missy Hyatt, all before they were big names. In fact, Gilbert married Missy in 1988. As a broker, Gilbert was the brains behind the infamous Battle of New Orleans in 1987, a post-match brawl that would spill into the stands and involve everything from trash cans and tables to popcorn machines and beer kegs. Gilbert won Best Booker for Wrestling Observer Newsletter in 1988. He would remain with UWF until Jim Crocker Promotions bought UWF in 1989. During his time with Jim Crocker Promotions, he would feed with the Varsity Club as a horseman while teaming with Rick Steiner, Ricky Steamboat, and Lex Luger. After leaving WCW, he divorced Missy and returned to the independent circuit, most notably the USWA, where he feuded with his idol, Jerry Lawler, and in the Tri-State Wrestling Alliance, a precursor to ECW. He also briefly married Medusa in 1990. He and Doug Gilbert also worked for the Global Wrestling Federation, but left in 1992 as their North American heavyweight champion due to a contract dispute. His final wrestling and booking days came in 1995, for Puerto Rico's World Wrestling Council. 
Gilbert was also credited with pioneering the wrestling shoot video when he sat down with Bob Barnett after leaving ECW in 1993. The video, looking for Mr. Gilbert, is highly sought after among wrestling collectors. Sadly, Gilbert died of a heart attack in his apartment on February 18, 1995. Eddie's father, Tommy, stated that injuries he had suffered in a serious auto accident in 1993 could have been a factor. Eddie's addiction to painkillers following the accident may have played a role in his death. For a few years following Eddie's death, the Eddie Gilbert Memorial Brawl would be held in the Philadelphia area, promoted primarily by NWA New Jersey and promoter Dennis Coraluzzo. Twenty-two years ago today, which would put it in 1996, in Norfolk, Virginia, Johnny B. Bad, who, of course, as we said, was went on to the WWF as Mark Merrow, defeated Lex Luger to win the WCW World TV title, just one night after Bad lost the belt to Luger. Also 22 years ago today, of course, 1996, WWF presented In Your House 6, Rage in the Cage, from the Louisville Gardens in Louisville, Kentucky. About 5,500 were in attendance with 238,000 homes watching on pay-per-view. In a free-for-all match, Jake Roberts defeated Tatanka. Razor Ramon defeated the 1-2-3 Kid in a crybaby match. With the loss, the 1-2-3 Kid was forced to don a baby's outfit. Also, Hunter Hearst Helmsley defeated Duke Grossi. Yokozuna defeated the British Bulldog. Shawn Michaels defeated Owen Hart to become the number one contender for the WWF title. Bret Hart defeated Diesel in a steel cage match to retain the WWF title. In a post-show dark match, the Godwins, Henry and Phineas, defeated the Bonnie Donnas, Skip and Zip. In a post-show dark match, Ahmed Johnson defeated Isaac Yankin. Of course, we would know him later as Kane. And also, in another post-show dark match, the Undertaker defeated Goldust by countout in an Intercontinental title match. <clears throat> 17 years ago today, put it in 2001, WCW presented Super Brawl Revenge from the Nashville Municipal Auditorium in Nashville, Tennessee. 4,395 people were in attendance with just 70,000 homes watching on pay-per-view. Of note, this was the next-to-last pay-per-view ever put on by WCW just over a week after their after their next pay-per-view, Greed, WCW was bought out by the WWF. Unsurprisingly, the event was never, made, was never made available for commercial release until WWE Network launched in February of 2014, a distinction that was shared by Super Brawl 4. And here are the matches that took place at Super Brawl Revenge in 2001. In a pre-show dark match, Chris Harris defeated Kid Romeo. Shane Helms last eliminated Kaz Hayashi, the one a six-man elimination match that became the number one contender for the Cruiserweight title. Other participants were Shannon Moore, Yun Yang, Evan Courageous, and Jamie Noble. Hugh Morris defeated The Wall. Sean O'Hare and Chuck Palumbo defeated Mark Jindrak and Sean Stasiak to retain the WCW World Tag Team titles. Chavo Guerrero Jr. defeated Rey Mysterio Jr. to retain the Cruiserweight title. Rick Steiner defeated Dustin Rose to retain the United States title. Totally buff, Lex Luger and Buff Bagwell defeated Brian Adams in a handicap match. The Cat defeated Lance Storm. Canyon defeated DDP. DDP defeated Jeff Jarrett. And Scott Steiner defeated Kevin Nash 2-1 in the best of three falls count anywhere match to retain the WCW World Heavyweight title. As a result of the loss, Nash had to retire Making this technically Kevin Nash's final WCW appearance. Twelve years ago today, which would put it at 
Let's, let's see. Yes, once again, 1996. <clears throat> and a WWE, let's see, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, two, well, that was 2000, 2000, see, 2006, excuse me, late, 2006, my apologies. At a WWE house show in Long Island, New York, Paul Heyman announced that there would be a second ECW one-night stand that summer. The 2006 one-night stand would serve as a relaunch of ECW. Eleven years ago today, we put it at 2007, WWE presented No Way Out from the Staples Center in Los Angeles. About 14,000 were in attendance with 218,000 homes watching on pay-per-view. In a dark match, RVD defeated Shelton Benjamin. Chris Benoit and the Hardys defeated M&M and MVP. Chavo Guerrero defeated Gregory Helms, Davari, Funaki, Jamie Noble, Jimmy Wang Yang, Scotty Tuhati, and Shannon Moore in a Cruiserweight Open to win the WWE Cruiserweight Championship. Finley and Little, ba- and Little Bastard, who of course we would know later on as Hornswoggle, defeated the Boogeyman and Little Boogeyman. Kane defeated King Booker. Paul London, London and Brian Kendrick defeated Deuce and Domino to retain the ta- WWE Tag Team titles. Mr. Kennedy defeated Bobby Lashley by DQ in an ECW <coughs> World Heavyweight Title Match, and John Cena and Shawn Michaels defeated Batista and The Undertaker. Ten years ago today, 2008, WWE announced that Ric Flair would be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. He was the first active wrestler to be inducted. Inducted. The active part did not last long as he was retired by Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 24 the night after his induction. Flair would, of course, be inducted again in 2012 as a member of the Four Horsemen. Seven years ago today, put at 2011, WWE aired the 600th episode of SmackDown. The show was taped three days earlier at the Valley View Casino Center in San Diego. With the airing, the show surpassed Lassie for third most shows of a weekly episodic series. Here are the matches that took place at this event. On the 600th episode of SmackDown, Edge, John Cena, John Morrison, R Truth, Randy Orton, and Rey Mysterio defeated CM Punk, Dolph Ziggler, Drew McIntyre, Kane, King Sheamus, and Wade Barrett. Layla and Maurice defeated Beth Phoenix and Eve Torres. The Miz defeated Kofi Kingston. Santino Morella and Vladimir Kozlov defeated Heath Slater and Justin Gabriel by DQ to retain the WWE Tag Team titles. Edge defeated Dolph Ziggler to win the World Heavyweight Championship. The title was vacated when Edge used the band Spear the previous week in a match. Returning general manager restored the move and ordered Ziggler to defend the title just minutes after he had been awarded the belt. Five years ago today, 2013, WWE announced that WrestleMania 30 would be held at the Mercedes-Benz Superdome in New Orleans. This was a departure from past milestone WrestleManias, both WrestleMania 10 and 20 were held in Madison Square Garden in New York City. Last month, WWE announced that WrestleMania, uh, well, this was last, this was uh, last year, I should say. WWE announced that WrestleMania 34 would be held in the Superdome, giving them their second WrestleMania in five years. Five years ago, also five years ago today, uh, 2013. On Raw from Lafayette, Louisiana, 
The Rock unveils the new WWE title belt. The new title belt, which was partially designed by Orange County Choppers of American Chopper fame, featured a large cutout of the scratch WWE logo encrusted with diamonds inside a large, irregular heptagonal plate. The word champion appeared underneath the logo in large letters. On each side was a divider bar and a large plate. By default, mainly when the title was vacant, the side plates consisted of a red globe with a WWE logo underneath the crown. When there is a champion, the side plates would be customized to the champion's logo. In case of the rocket, was a Brahma Bull. The design would be tweaked slightly the next year with the WWE Network logo and the words World Heavyweight Champion in small print underneath the logo. The new belt replaced the spinner belt, spinner belt that WWE had used since 2005. WWE has since made similar belts for its new Women's and Universal Championships, which was both introduced in 2016. Four years ago today, put it at 2014, Nelson Frazier Jr., best known to wrestling fans as Mabel, Viscera, and Big Daddy V, sadly died of a heart attack. He was just 43 years old. Born on Valentine's Day, 1971, in Goldsboro, North Carolina, Frazier made his professional wrestling debut as Nelson Knight, one half of the Harlem Knights with his storyline brother, Bobby. No relation to the famed basketball coach of the same name, obviously. His real name, of course, is Robert Horn. They wrestled for USWA and the Pro Wrestling Federation before signing with the WWF in 1993. The storyline brothers were given, given a new gimmick when they came to the WWF. Nelson became Mabel, Bobby became Moe, and combined with rapping manager Oscar, the trio became men on a mission, three African-American men looking to make a positive change in inner-city neighborhoods. The group made moderate success winning the WWF Tag Team titles in April of 1994 in London. They'd lose the titles just two days later to the Quebecers, the team that they actually beat for the titles. The group broke up in 1995 after losing a match to the Smoking Guns for the tag titles when both Mabel and Moe attacked Oscar. Mabel would adopt a thug-like persona and would get a monster, no pun intended, push winning the King of the Ring tournament. Following the win, Mabel became King Mabel, with Moe becoming Sir Moe. Mabel even had his own championship belt created for him, but the belt was never seen on WWF television. Mabel would briefly be the WWF's top heel, but the company went in a different direction by the end of the summer, designed on pushing the British Bulldog as their top heel. A stable involving Bulldog, Mabel, Moe, and Jim Cornette would never come to pass. A SummerSlam bout with Diesel nearly resulted in his firing, but Mabel performed a sit-down splash on Diesel, hindering his movement for the remainder of the bout. Diesel, of course, also known as Kevin Nash, would ultimately talk Vince out of firing him, but he would de-emphasize he would be emphasized for the remainder of his time in the WWF. Frazier's history of injury wrestlers would be a breaking point for Vince when he entered Undertaker's orbital bone and knocked him out for two months. Mabel would lose to Undertaker in December in a casket match at In Your House 5 Seasons Beatings, then again on WWF Superstars the next month. That same month, he was defeated in eight seconds by Diesel and eliminated third in the 1996 Warrior Rumble match. Both he and Horn were fired following the event. He would spend the next three years on the independent circuit, primarily in Tennessee-based United States Wrestling Association, which would be rebranded twice while he was there, first to Memphis Championship Wrestling, then to just Memphis Wrestling. He was also briefly uh, the WWC Universal Heavyweight Champion, feuding with Carlos Colon, 
Frazier made only also made one night only appearances in 1998 for the WWF and for ECW. He returned full time to the WWF in 1999, first as Mabel during the pre-show for the Royal Rumble pay-per-view, then was kidnapped by the Undertaker's Ministry of Darkness. He was introduced the next night as Viscera, the group's enforcer. When the group broke up that summer, he floated around the low and mid-card ranks, primarily teaming with Midian and competing in the hardcore division. He was briefly WWF hardcore champion at WrestleMania 2000, but Frazier would be released again that summer. He would spend the next four years on the independent circuit, save for two appearances in TNA in 2003. Frazier began a third run with the company in 2004, attacking former Ministry of Darkness leader The Undertaker with Gangrel and one-time acolyte John Bradshaw Layfield. After two weeks on SmackDown, Frazier was moved to Raw. His first major appearance on the show in the Brown Extension era came in April 2005 when he aligned with Trish Stratus in her feud with Lita and Kane. This first failed attempt to seduce Trish would accidentally on purpose give birth to Frazier's new gimmick, Viscera, the world's largest love machine. Frazier would make lewd gestures and wear pajamas to the ring. He would attempt to seduce ring announcer Lillian Garcia for a few weeks. Eventually it worked and the two were about to be storyline engaged, but Lillian would be left behind when the Godfather arrived with his band of hoes. The two attempted a reconciliation the next year, but Visser was attacked by Umaga. A few weeks later, Lillian was legitimately injured when Charlie Haas knocked Lillian off ring apron and sprained her wrist. The injury would be written into storyline with the two fighting over Garcia. After Lillian decided she just wanted to be friends, Viscera accidentally on purpose Samoan dropped Lillian. After fainting it was an accident, those men laughed about it, turning Viscera heel. The two teamed briefly before Haas reformed the world's greatest tag team with Shelton Benjamin. Viscera would be sent to ECW in June 2007 and would soon be repackaged as Big Daddy V, the enforcer for Matt Stryker. He would feud with the Boogeyman, Tommy Dreamer, CM Punk, and Kane, were being phased out following WrestleMania 24. He would be sent to SmackDown in the 2008 Supplemental Draft, but would never wrestle for the brand. Frazier was released for a third time that August. Frazier would spend the remainder of his wrestling days on the independent and international circuit competing for promotions including Juggalo Championship Wrestling, NWA, Pro Wrestling Extreme, the Noki Genome Federation, Family Wrestling Entertainment, New Wrestling Evolution, All Japan Pro Wrestling, and World Wrestling League in Mexico. Frazier's final bout came in October 2013. I went over Rene Dupree for Guitar Pro Wrestling. Sadly, Frazier died of a heart attack just four days after his 43rd birthday. His death was first reported by his agent, Eric Sims. Frazier was cremated with his ashes sent in pendants for his loved ones, for his loved ones 500 were sent in all. <clears throat> Today is, as believe it or not, a happy 61st birthday for Vanna Marie Roche, but she's best known to millions as Vanna White. The longtime hostess of Wheel of Fortune, she's been the show's letter turner since 1982, and Guinness World Record holder as television's most frequent clapper, does have a wrestling connection. She ran the backstage bracket board at WrestleMania 4 and was the guest timekeeper for the show's main event. Today was also been... <clears throat> this is, let's see. Yes, the 100th birthday of Frederick Kenneth Blassman. That's on the wrestling fans as classy Freddie Blassie. 
Born in St. Louis, Missouri to German immigrants, Blassie was an only child. He watched his father abuse his mother and often stay with his grandparents to get away from the abuse. At age 13, he threatened to attack his father with a baseball bat after seeing him abuse his mother. He stayed with his aunt for six months before his mother asked him to come home. After graduating high school, he got a job at a meat packing plant. In his spare time, he took up boxing and won a heavyweight championship. It was while he boxed that he took interest in wrestling. Locals would recognize him and they would teach him and they would teach him holds. His first wrestling match was actually a shoot bout. He did to impress a girl he brought to the show. He would soon get work at wrestling carnivals. It was in one of those carnivals he came up with his most famous catchphrase, Pencil Neck Geek, in reference to a performer known as the Geek, who had a thin neck like a stack of dimes. Eventually he would work with famed Missouri promoters Tom Pax out of St. Louis and George Simpson out of Kansas City. After a three and a half, after a three and a half stint in the Navy during World War II, he got married and reached Petty Officer Second Class before being discharged. He returned to the ring as Sailor Fred Blassie to capitalize on the wave of wartime patriotism, but the gimmick flopped. In 1952, Blassie moved to Los Angeles and worked with promoter Jules Strombow for the World Wrestling Association. He teamed with Billy McDaniel as the McDaniel Brothers. But away from California, they were known as the Blassie Brothers. Next year, he worked for Paul Jones, no relation to, of course, the wrestler of the 80s, in Atlanta. He captured the NWA Georgia Southern Heavyweight Championship, putting him in line for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. It was during his seven years in Georgia that he developed his heel gimmick. He was a Yankee who, like many other stars of the day, dyed his hair blonde. He also bit his opponents during matches and filed his teeth during interviews given Blassie the nickname The Vampire. Freddie returned to Strombo's WWE in Los Angeles in 1960 and would be one of the biggest draws to the Olympic Auditorium and among the most hated. He was often surrounded by uniformed police officers during his entrances and exits. Blassie, who claimed to have made Regis Philbin the celebrity that he, that he is, won his first WWA World Heavyweight Championship in 1961 from Edouard Carpentier, his first major successful defense came a month later against former NWA world champion Lou Fez. The next year, he feuded with Japanese wrestling icon Ricky Dozan. Ricky Dozan defeated Blasi for the WWA title. The two rematched in Japan and bit the forehead of the legend. Many viewers were horrified to the point of heart attacks and even death. That made him even more hated overseas than on American soil. He would regain the title from Ricky Dozan, but would lose it just two days later to the destroyer Dick Byer. He would win it back in 1963, <clears throat> but lose it to Bearcat Wright, at the time one of the most notable title wins by an African-American in wrestling. He would capture that championship once more in 1964, losing it to Dick the Bruiser before heading east to the Worldwide Wrestling Federation. During his first stint with the WWF, Blassie feuded with Bruno San Martino and Bobo Brazil, claiming to be the Pacific World Champion and he had come to San Martino's backyard to unify the belts. The feud lasted throughout the year, and although Blasi did defeat San Martino, he never pinned the champion. The feud culminated with Madison Square Garden, where Bruno defeated Freddie. In 1965, while on tour in Japan, he met Miyako Morizumi. Miyako would go on to be Blasi's third wife. He first married while on shore leave during World War II, but his philandering ways caught up with him. It was again with his second marriage, leading him to become estranged with his children. Blasi thought his reputation in Japan, not to mention the 28-year age difference, 
would be a deal breaker for the Morozumis. Eventually, her parents gave him their blessing, and Freddie took her home to the United States. They would marry in late September of 1968. That same year, Blasi returned to Los Angeles for the WWF, just as promoter Michael Bell returned to the NWA. Blasi's antics that made him the, among the most hated eventually made him a fan favorite, and he was turned face in the 1970s. He feuded most notably with Soul Man Rocky Johnson, The Sheik, and the Golden Greek John Tolos. The Blasi Tolos bout in the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum broke attendance, re- attendance and gate records for the state of California. In 1971, Blasi returned to the WWF and under the tutelage of Captain Lou Albano, challenged for the WWF title held by Pedro Morales. In 1974, Blasi returned from in-ring, retired from in-ring competition due to California regulation to prevent anyone over 55 from obtaining a wrestling license. He devoted the remainder of his wrestling career to managing the WWF, which eventually became the WWF. He managed, among others, Nikolai Volkov, High Chief Peter Maivia, Jesse Ventura, Adrian Adonis, Dick Murdoch, The Iron Sheik, Mr. Fuji, Professor Tanaka, Kamala, Hercules Hernandez, Hulk Hogan, and in 1976, Muhammad Ali for his boxer-wrestler match with Antonio Inoki. His close relationship with Vincent Mann Sr. made Blassie a part of the WWF umbrella until his death. He made infrequent appearances for the company following his retirement in 1986. Most nobody as a guest on primetime wrestling in 1989 and 1990, and a passionate speech to the WWF roster during the Invasion era in 2001, and on Raw in 2003 when he did Bubba Ray Dudley's catchphrase, Devon, get the tables. On June 2, 2003, sadly, Blassie died of a heart and kidney failure in Hartsdale, New York. He was 85. In 1994, Blassie was inducted into the WWF Hall of Fame. He joined the inaugural class of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame in 96, honored by the Cauliflower Alley Club in 1998. Given the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Stanley Weston Award for Lifetime Achievement in 2000 and was personally inducted into the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame in 2004, and the NWA Hall of Fame in 2011. He was honored, also honored with a Lifetime Achievement Slammy in 1996. And so, ladies, so ladies and gentlemen, uh, happy birthday to what have been 100 years old to Classy Freddie Blassie, and also happy 61st birthday to Vanna White today. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we continue on with our, of course, we got a little bit more wrestling history to talk about. As, of course, this next part here, uh, the second part of our wrestling history is a very somber one. Twenty-five years ago today, here, folks, 1993, Kerry Atkinson, best known to wrestling fans as Kerry Von Erich, shot himself to death on his father's ranch in Denton, Texas. He was only 33 years old. Born February 3, 1960, in Niagara Falls, New York, Kerry was a standout in high school track <clears throat> and field and broke the high school record in, in the discus throw. In May 1979, Kerry made his professional debut for his father, Fritz's Big Time Wrestling, also known as NWA Texas. Championships came quickly for the modern-day warrior, even when he went to WCCW. He twice won the NWA American Heavyweight Championship in a six-month span, he would win the championship five times total and won the NWA American Tag Team Championship with Terry Orndorff. 
He would have a standout win over then NWA world champion Harley Race in June of 1982. Two months later, he got his first shot at that championship against Ric Flair, but failed to win it in a best-of-three falls match. On Christmas Day 1982, he got another shot at the title that was on his way to winning it, but his honor got the best of him. I want an attainted victory. Terry Gordy slammed the cage door on Kerry's head, allowing Flair to retain the title. The act would set up a long feud between the Freebirds and the Von Erichs. Kerry and Bruiser Brody would take the NWA American Tag Team titles from the Freebirds in June 1983. Two and a half weeks later, the Von Erichs, Kerry, Kevin, and David would take the Freebirds' Texas six-man title. Their trainer would trade the titles back and forth for the remainder of the year. In May 1984, three months after the death of his brother David, Kerry would defeat Ric Flair to win the NWA world title for the first and only time. He would lose the title just 18 later, days later back to Flair in Yokosuka, Japan. His reign would be among the shortest in the history of the championship. One reason for the short reign is his substance abuse issues, nothing that would follow him for the remainder of his life. In June 1986, Kerry was involved in a motorcycle accident he would suffer a dislocated hip and injured right leg. The injury was so bad, doctors were forced to amputate his right foot, according to his brother Kevin. This was due to Kerry walking on it right after surgery. Kerry would wrestle with a prosthetic in his right leg for the remainder of his life, something many wrestlers and fans did not know about. In the dying days of WCCW, he featured with Jerry Lawler, over who would be the undisputed WCWA AWA champion. The championships were unified at Super Clash 3. Prior to the match, Kerry cut his arm. During the match, Kerry got a cut on his head. When he had Lawler in the famous Von Erich claw hold, the referee saw the blood on Kerry's head and stopped the bout. Thought to have won the bout by submission, Kerry instead lost the bout due to excessive blood loss, awarding the victory to Jerry Lawler. After wrestling for a year under the USWA banner following their acquisition of World Class, Kerry left for the WWF. He debuted as a Texas Tornado in July 1990 on Saturday night's main event, defeating Playboy Buddy Rose, Kerry's opponent in his professional debut. A month later, Kerry, seven for an injured Brutus Beefcake, won the WWF Intercontinental title at SummerSlam from Mr. Perfect. He would lose the title back to Mr. Perfect by the end of the year. Kerry would have moderate success over the next year, but would never reach championship status again in the WWF. In the 1992 Royal Rumble, Kerry's last pay-per-view appearance, he would be eliminated by the eventual winner, Ric Flair, a man he defeated for the NWA world title eight, day, eight years earlier. Kerry would serve as a jobber to the stars for the, main, for the remainder of his WWF run, leaving the company in August of 1992. Kerry's last championship would come for Texas-based independent United States Wrestling Federation in the fall of 1992. His final match came for the Global Wrestling Federation where he and one-time arch rival Chris Adams lost to Johnny Mantell and Black Bart via disqualification at the Sportatorium, a building he and his family made famous. After Kerry's foot was amputated, he would develop a drug abuse problem. The problem would play a part in driving a wedge between he and his wife, Catherine. <clears throat> in February 1992, just five days after his 32nd birthday, Kerry was arrested for falsifying drug prescriptions. Two months later, Kerry and Catherine divorced. In October, two months after leaving the WWF, he played no contest to six felony counts of prescription forgery. Kerry sentenced to 10 years probation and fined $6,000. In the new year, Kerry's arrested on cocaine possession charges 
as he was on probation, Carey was looking at a long jail sentence. On the morning of his arraignment, Carey drove to the family ranch, took a 44 caliber magnum to his heart, and pulled the trigger. Tragedy, unfortunately, was nothing new for the Von Erichs. He would be the third Von Erich brother to commit suicide. With Michael overdosed in 1987, Chris Sean and, and Chris Sean in 1991, including David's death in 1984, four of the five Von Erich brothers had died, leaving Kevin as the only survivor. At the time of his death, he would leave, he left behind his wife Catherine and two children, Holly and Lacey, where she knew would have a, would briefly have a wrestling career of her own. In 2009, the Von Erich family would be mostly posthumously inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. So, folks, there you have it there on our second part of our wrestling history. At 25 years ago today, 1993, we lost a true wrestling superstar in the Texas Tornado, Kerry Von Eric. Ladies and gentlemen, let's go ahead and bring you, of course, Uh, let's go ahead and bring you, of course, uh, bring you, of course, our wrestling, uh, our WWS Radio Network lineup here for this week. First off, uh, tomorrow afternoon from 3 to 5 p.m., call ID 138744-POUND. Going to King and W.O. Gerard T. Smith, the Iceman, Jared D. Geralmo, the Human Suplex Machine, John Gross, and a plethora of guests as they, of course, bring you WWS Raw Radio tomorrow. They, of course, know that will be getting everyone set and prepared for next Sunday's WWE Elimination Chamber pay-per-view. Of course, the latest wrestling news and views. Plus, John will bring you your wrestling history and birthdays for not only tomorrow, but also this past weekend as well, just like I have. Uh, also, of course, they'll be bringing you, of course, their everyone's thoughts and opinions on what will the ratings and the main event uh, be for tomorrow night's Monday Night Raw show. So, uh, and plus other stuff there as well to boot. So be sure to join all of us or, or join the gang for WWS Raw Radio every, of course, tomorrow afternoon from 3 to 5 right here on TalkShoe.com. Call ID 138-744-POUND. <clears throat> Next up, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Tuesday will be, of course, Double Dose Part 1. First off, we, we will first we'll start off with WWS Wrestling Revisited, doing King Ice, of course, King and W.O. and the Iceman, as they hop into the WWS time machine for another uh, look at wrestling's, uh, another historic wrestling moment. Join them from 7 to 8, of course, Tuesday, Tuesday evening, right here on Talk Show, call ID 139-926-POUND. Next up here, folks, of course, uh, we'll, next up, of course, we'll offering a WWS Revolution, of course, Tuesday night from 9 to 11. Of course, call ID 138055-POUND. As we, of course, will be, of course, continuing to talk about WWS, I mean, I'm sorry, WWE Elimination Chamber. And also, of course, we're bringing the latest wrestling news and views and history and birthdays. Plus, we'll talk about the results from tomorrow night's Monday Night Raw show. <clears throat> Plus, our call, our Live video feed will be from, of course, the group dedicated to the Hardy Boys, Hardy Boys fans. So be sure to join us for Revolution coming after Wrestling Revisited Tuesday night right here on Talk Show. Of course, like I said, Wrestling Revisited, 139-926-POUND. And also, of course, <clears throat> Revolution, 138-055-POUND. 
Wednesday night, ladies and gentlemen, our Triple Threat Wednesday. We, of course, will start things off with WWS Outside the Ropes. As myself and the Iceman, Jared DiGiromo, of course, we may, of course, also have once again a visit from the human suplex machine, John Gross. As, of course, we'll bring in the latest pop culture news, of course, everything uh, going on here, movies, music, sports, politics, you name it, we'll talk about it. Uh, J.D., you know that we'll be bringing you some more, uh, some other sports stories, also the box office report as well. Plus, we'll, of course, get uh, J.D. and possibly John in their pride-proof suits for another uh, for, the, for another hot seat movie trivia challenge. So be sure to join us for Outside the Ropes this Wednesday night from 6.30 to 7.30 right here on Talk Show. Caller ID <clears throat> uh, 141-387-POUND. Of course, uh, the second part of our Triple Threat Wednesday will be WWS Wrestling Debate from 8 to 9. Be sure to join, of course, the NWO Madness Kingdom, which is, of course, King NWO, the Iceman, also the Black Widow, Michelle Lynn Dodds. As, of course, they will be talking about uh, discussing and debating all about what took place on Raw tomorrow night, on SmackDown Tuesday night, uh, talking about the Elimination Chamber, of course, Fastlane also coming up next month as well. So there'll be some big time talks about that, plus other wrestling stories making the rounds too. Be sure to join us for wrestling debate this Wednesday night from eight to nine, right here on Talk Show. Call ID one three nine. I'm sorry, one. That's right, one 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 three nine nine two five pound. Yes, sir. Next up here, of course, would be the Wednesday edition of WWS Revolution. Of course, once again, wrestling news and views and history and birthdays. Of course, will first will will of course be the beginning of the show. And of course, we'll definitely hear our thoughts and opinions on what took place on SmackDown Tuesday night. Also, of course, <clears throat> our live video feed will come from, of course, a group started by our own Key NWO, Gerard T. Smith. Of course, a group entitled Top Heel. Uh, also, some wrestling extras coming your way as well. Uh, you never know what we'll have, but we'll keep everybody informed of that. So be sure to join us for Revolution this Wednesday night from from eight to from uh, nine to eleven, right here on Talk Shoe. Call ID one three eight zero five five pound. Next up here, folks, is the second installment NWO Wolfpack. Uh, one three eight five two one pound. Of course, the latest wrestling news and views, and also the history and birthdays. Live video feed for Wolfpack will be from WWUS Interview Corner. Uh, some other wrestling extras are coming away. You never know what we'll have going on, but we'll definitely have you something. So be sure to join us here. This. Thursday night from 9 to 11 for the second installment NWO Wolfpack. And of course, this Friday here, ladies and gentlemen, we'll, be, we'll, we'll bring Revolution back in one more time for the week as we'll be bringing you the latest wrestling news and views, latest history and birthdays. Of course, more talk about Elimination Chamber coming up on Sunday, next Sunday. Uh, other wrestling extras will, of course, be different. That will definitely be the norm as well. Be sure to join us for Revolution this Friday night from 9 to 11. Call ID 138. 055 pound. Also, the live video feed for the Friday edition of Revolution, excuse me, will come from W7US NXTNG Alliance. So be sure to join us for that as well. <clears throat> also, this uh, Saturday afternoon at 5 p.m., of course, will be the latest edition of W7US Power Hour, as of course, we'll be reviewing all of our shows from the past week. Also, <clears throat> Given, of course, of course, more wrestling history will come up for, for this coming Saturday, as well as, of course, some other wrestling news tidbits coming up here, too. Be sure to join us for Power Hour this Saturday afternoon at 5 p.m. right here on TalkShoe.com. Call ID 141-364-POUND. 
And next Sunday, ladies and gentlemen, at 5 p.m., of course, will be a special edition of Revolution, as we, of course, will have our our prediction show for WWE Elimination Chamber 2018. We'll go through all the matches here, and we'll talk about uh, our thoughts and predictions on who will win each match, and we'll be bringing all that. And plus, also, uh, maybe some bets involved in that, too. So be sure to join us here for the special edition of Revolution. Uh, we have not decided on what the live, where the live video feed will be, but we'll we'll definitely sometime between Raw Radio and Power Hour uh, this week. We'll definitely keep you informed of that as well. So our prediction show for like I said, special edition of WWS Revolution next Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m. Our prediction show for Elimination Chamber 2018. <coughs> Call ID 138055-POUND. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. There is our lineup here for the coming week here. Up until, like I said, next from tomorrow to next Sunday, so be sure to listen to all of our shows this week. Of course, as we said, <clears throat> Revolution, Wolfpack, Raw Radio, uh, Wrestling Revisited, Wrestling Debate, Outside of the Ropes, and of course Power Hour. And be sure, be sure to listen into all that coming up here this week here in the WWS Radio Network. And now, folks, we'll have a few minutes to spare. Let's throw out a few pieces. Uh, let's, let's throw out some uh, interesting uh, wrestling and, and possibly some uh, 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 pop culture uh, news here, of course. Uh, let's see here. Let's first start off with a story that you might hear on WWS Outside the Ropes coming up here this week. Coming in from, from Jer- uh, Jeremy Thomas. Right here at Four Eleven Mania, of course, Four Eleven Mania. We do thank them for allowing us here in the WWS Radio Network to read their stories each and every night. Right here, of course, on all of our shows, including Revolution, Wolfpack, Raw Radio, Outside the Ropes, and and so on and so forth. Let's jump for just one second. And, of course, Jimmy Thomas brings his story right here. Of course, the box office report here has predicted the movie Black Panther smashes down the competition. <coughs> J.D. will probably no doubt bring, be bringing more of this into, we'll be talking more about this between Raw Radio and Outside the Ropes this week, but I figured I'd go ahead and give, give, a, uh, give a little bit of an update here on this as well. Marvel's Black Panther reigns supreme at the box office, beating all expectations. <laughs> You helped you, little girl. Sorry about that. <clears throat> right, Supreme at the box office being all expectations for a phenomenal first weekend. The Marvel Cinematic Universe film opened to a $192 million start for, start for the first for, for the for the three day weekend and $225.7 million over the four day weekend for a historic start. The opening makes the film Marvel's second best three-day opener of all time, edging Avengers Age of Ultron's $191.3 million bow in May of 2015, behind only the Avengers' $207.4 million debut in 2012. It is also the fifth best opening of all time and beats out all Marvel solo franchise starters with ease. 
The next closest among those films was Spider-Man Homecoming, which premiered to a $117.4 million opening last July. The film notched the best February opening by a long shot as well, besting Deadpool's $132.4 million opening in 2015. There's no other way to put it than this. There are, these are huge, huge numbers. Around the middle of last week, analysts were predicting a $170 million three-day weekend. Panther obviously flew past, flew way past that thanks to almost unprecedented hype. The film set the record for the most tickets pre-sold for an MCU film in its first day back in early January. Pre-sales were trending above those for the previous record holder, Captain, which was Captain America's Civil War. That's all down to hype. But things got even crazier once critics Critics weighed in with huge praise. At 97%, the film has the highest Rotten Tomatoes score of a Marvel Cinematic Universe film yet. The critical praise helped shoot the film to the highest it achieved. But it's more than just critic hype and marketing. Audiences love the film, too. Given in a rare A-plus cinema score. For, re- for reference, only The Avengers has achieved that mark among the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That word of mouth translated to provable box office returns as the film saw a tiny 13% slip from Friday to Saturday. And that's when you count the 25.2 million Thursday preview grosses in with Friday. Sunday was also strong with a slip of just 24%, which are incredibly encouraging for the film's box office legs. (laughs) To put it succinctly, too late, audience loved the film and it's clearly one of Marvel's most successful films yet. Of course, the big question is always how far the film would ultimately go. The answer is hard to say other than very far. The multiples for Marvel's biggest openers have varied from The Adventures, which is a 3.0, to Age of Ultron, 2.4, to Iron Man 3, 2.34, to Civil War, which is 2.28. Black Panther has the advantage of a weaker competition slate than those films, having opened in February and not the blockbuster months of summer. If we assume a 2.5 multiplier and it could go much higher, the film could would total in the $480 million range. Domestically, 475 is a conservative estimate with a $500 million plus possible. Either way, these are huge numbers for the Ryan Coogler film. It also added a very good $169 million overseas for a $361 million start. The budget for this one was $200 million. Servant as its counter-programming in its second week, Peter Rabbit was number two again. To 17.3 million. <clears throat> That's a drop of 31%, which is pretty good for the live action animated hybrid adaptation of the Beatrix Potter character. The film is now standing at 48.2 million domestically and should be able to make it around 80 million. Foreign grosses will drive this 50 million budgeted film to profit. To no one's surprise, 50 Shades Freed was pushed down to number three in its second week with 16.9 million. That gives the film a 50%. from last weekend's opening, which is comparable to the 57% drop that Fifty Shades Darker started with last year. It's much better than the 74% second weekend drop of the first film. Freed is up to 76.1 million domestically and 266.9 million worldwide, making it a very profitable way for Universal to close this franchise out. It should make it up to around 105 million in the U.S. on a $55 million budget. Yumanji, Welcome to the Jungle came in next with 7.9 million. The action comedy refuses to tap out and slip just 21% from last week. It now, <clears throat> excuse me there, so that's that. 
it now has, let's see, sorry about that, I kind of lost it, there it is. The action economy refuses to tap out, so just 21% from last week, it now has 377.6 million domestically and 904.6 million dollars worldwide. At this point, it's not possible that the film could actually hit 400 million domestically. The budget for this mega hit was 90 million dollars. Clint Eastwood's The 1517 to Paris was off 39% in its second weekend with 7.7 million. That would not be a bad hold if the film had started so low. At the stats now, there's plenty of adult-friendly or action content on the big screen, and audiences are going to see those instead of this one. It's up to $25.4 million domestically and $36.1 million overseas, disappointing numbers on both counts. It should hit around $40 to $45 million and will be vaguely profitable on a $30 million budget. The Greatest Showman hung in there, dropping just 21% to $5.1 million. The improbably strong box office performance has brought the movie to $154.8 million domestically and $340.1 million worldwide making it a nicely profitable venture for Fox on an $84 million budget. It should be able to make it around $170 million domestically. Liongate stop-motion animated film Early Man was crushed under the weight of Black Panther and Peter Rabbit, opening with a whisper of $3.5 million. The film, which hails from Wallace and Gromit studio Ardman, opened below the modest $5 million expectations. It will likely bring in money overseas, where these films always derive their profits. While here in the U.S. at $10 million final growth seems optimistic, the budget was $15 million. Maze Runner, The Death Cure, was off 59% in its fourth weekend to $2.5 million. The final film in the Maze Runner franchise is now grossed $54 million domestically and $259.2 million worldwide. The film still counts as a hit, I'll bet a minor one. From its $65 million budget. It should finish off with around $60 million in the U.S. Winchester fell heavily in its third weekend, down 57% to $2.2 million. That's not expected after the film held on fairly well last weekend. The period horror flick is at $21.9 million domestically and should finish up at around $28 million. That should be enough for Lionsgate to avoid losing money on it. Religious action film Samson finished out the top 10 by opening at 10, number 10 with 2 million. That again is below the, even the modest mid single digit at predictions. The film is dead on arrival with critics, 27% of Rotten Tomatoes, and it did open in enough theaters to generate a cinema score. It'll top out at around 8 to $10 million. Whether that'll be enough for profit remains to be seen. Black Panther will dominate again next week, beating out new films Game Night and Annihilation with ease. Both films are looking for 14 to $18 million profits. Orion's Every Day will be lucky if it crosses $5 million. And here's your box office top 10 to round everything off. Black Panther made $192 million this weekend. That's what it has totaled so far. Number two, Peter Rabbit, $17.3 million. For, so far, for a total of $48.2 million. Number three, Fifty Shades Freed, $16.9 million for 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 a total so far of $76.1 million. Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, for this weekend, $7.9 million for a total of $377.6. Number five, uh, the fifteen seventeen to Paris, $7.7 million for so far a total of $25.4 million. Number six, The Greatest Showman, $3.2 million so far for a total of $154.5 million. 
Number seven, early man, 3.2 million, which is what it has so far. Number eight, Maze Runner, the death cure, earned 2.5 million so far for a total of 54 million dollars even. Number nine, Winchester, earned 2.2 million so far for a total of 21.9 million. And number 10, Samson, earned $2 million, and that's how much it has so far. So, the folks, out there, like I said, I mean, y'all expected Black Panther to really be dominant, but, but definitely, like I said, keep your keep her eyes open there on Definitely keep watching those movies there if you happen to happen to see something pretty good. We'll bring you about two or three rest wrestling stories here. We'll go past the ten o'clock hour here tonight. Jeffrey uh, Harris brings us just right here. The Miz on making fun of Finn Balor's lack of success on Raw. Finn Balor responds on Twitter. The Miz made fun of Finn Balor on Twitter for his lack of success on the main roster in WWE. Balor responded to Miz's tweets as well, and here's the exchanges right here below. The uh, Miz at, at Mike the Miz yesterday said, Hey, at Finn Balor, more like hashtag gauntlet match. Finn Balor forever, which is at Finn Balor, says, See you Monday. That was said yesterday. Miz said today, what's the word for when you've done, done nothing for nearly two years? So you keep reminding people you did something good once? Oh, yeah, Finn Balor. Miz said that today. Finn Balor responded said, today, said, hey, babe, what's the word for when you feel sorry for someone and try to help them out? Oh, yeah, sympathy vote. See you Monday. So apparently a big-time exchange right there going on between Miz and Balor, so we've got to wait and see what happens here, folks. Yes, indeed. Uh, uh, Jeffrey Harris brings us this story. Speaking of Twitter here, another Twitter-type story. Triple H reaches 7 million Twitter followers and an update on WWE Superstars Twitter ranks, believe it or not. WWE's Triple H has now reached over 7 million followers for his Twitter account. He's now the third most followed wrestling personality following only The Rock with 12.6 million followers and John Cena with 10.9 million followers. You can check out a list of the top 10 most followed personalities from WWE right here. was via WrestlingInc.com. Roman Reigns falls short of the top 10 at approximately 3 million followers. Number one is The Rock with 12.6 million. Number two is John Cena with 10.9 million. Number three is Triple H with 7.1 million. Number four, Randy Orton, 5.8 million. Number five is Sheamus, 4.8 million. Number six, Steve Austin, 4.4 million. Number seven, Daniel Bryan, 4.3 million. Number eight, Shawn Michaels, 3.9 million. Number nine, Nikki Bella, 3.4 million. Number 10, Chris Jericho, 
with 3.4 million. So Jericho definitely made the list, but unfortunately he was on the very bottom of it. So unbelievable there, folks. Interesting uh, point of view there. And of course, an update on uh, on a match that is set for tomorrow night's Monday Night Raw show. We'll go and talk about it now. Jeffrey Harris brings us a story right here. WWE announces a six-woman tag team match for tomorrow's Monday Night Raw. WWE.com has confirmed a new six-woman tag team match for Raw featuring all the participants for the first ever Women's Elimination Chamber match. In the bout, the team of Bailey, Sasha Banks, and Mickey James will face Alexa Bliss, Mandy Rose, and Sonya Deville. Here is the teaser released by WWE, WWE on the match. And this is, here's the following right here, folks. For the first ever Women's Elimination Chamber match for the Raw Women's Championship only six days away, the participants will get the chance to square off in a six-woman tag team match as Bailey, Sasha Banks, and Mickey James take on Raw Women's Champion Alexa Bliss, Andy Rose, and Sonya Deville. With WWE Elimination Chamber looming, who will assert dominance in this final showdown prior to stepping inside the unrelenting structure? And how will the dynamics such as Bliss's attempting to regain the favor of Mickey and the apparent frostiness between Banks and Bailey play into the contest. There's also set to be a big tag team match with the participants in the men's elimination chamber match on Monday Night Raw tomorrow night as well. So, folks, it's going to be a pretty interesting night here as to uh, uh, what will we'll no doubt be, I'm sure it'll be a very interesting Raw tomorrow night. So, there you have it right there indeed. A very interesting WWE news right here coming in from uh, uh, Jeffrey Harris here. Stephanie McMahon confirms that her brother Shane <coughs> uh, confirms Shane McMahon's status as an on-air talent and Mustafa Ali faces the calm before the storm. And here's the stories. As previously reported right here on 411 Mania, WWE Stephanie McMahon recently spoke with Bloomberg. As one additional note from the article, Stephanie McMahon confirmed that Shane McMahon only currently works in the WWE as an on-air talent, and he is not an executive within WWE. Stephanie McMahon stated on her brother Shane, he is a really strong talent for us right now, knowing that he's not an actual WWE executive, despite his on-air, on-air role as the commissioner of SmackDown Live. Before we get, of course, of course, uh, said before they get a lot of angry comments, Shane's status as an on-air talent without an executive or creative role has been reported on in the past. But here it was explicitly stated as such by Stephanie McMahon, who does have a top role in WWE. Addition, this confirms that his status in that role has not changed in nearly two years. Mustafa Ali posted on his Instagram ahead of his upcoming match on 205 Live this week. Ali is set to face Jack Gallagher in the Cruiserweight title tournament to crown a new champion. Here's all you can check out his, his post right here below. He wrote the following on his post on the calm before the storm. Mustafa Ali says this. The calm before the storm. This week is the start of potentially the biggest moment of my career, my road to hashtag WrestleMania. But this journey isn't just for me. It's for every single person refusing to be defined, to be labeled, to be checked in a box. It's for every single person that believes everyone has the right to chase their dream. It's for every single person that believes we are one. 
there you have it there, folks. I'll be a real good I'll I'll be a real good contest on two oh five live. <clears throat> uh coming up here of course this week. And one more one more quick story here before we call it a night here, folks. The mother of WWE News coming in from Jeffrey Harris. Shelton Benjamin and Chad Gable demand changes from referees and Asuka artwork featured on Canvas to Canvas. WWE released a video showing Shelton Benjamin and Chad Gable talking to referee Jason Ayers about the recent problems that have been causing the tag team wins on SmackDown Live. Where you can check the videos on this page if you want to check that check this video out right here. Additionally, Jason Ayers responded to the issues on Twitter. According to Ayers, he claimed he and his little referee buddies are on top of things. You can also check out his tweet below. I'm a bank. WWE's, at WWE said here today, after another week of blown calls at WWE Gable and at Shelty B803. The man of changing the way things are officiated on hashtag SmackDown Live. Jason Ayers, of course, the referee says, at Jason Ayers, WWE said today, I assure my little referee buddies and I already on top of things. Hashtag repost at WWE with at get lowercase repost at WWE Gable and at Shilty BO3 have had enough of, this, uh, of the officiating on SmackDown Live and demand a change. Okay? And one more quick story right here. Of course, the video for this is on here as well if you want to take a look at this. WWE released a new Canvas to Canvas video today featuring Rob Schamberger creating some new Asuka artwork. You can check out the new artwork showcase for Asuka in the video right here below. So definitely check out that... Uh, have to check out that story there indeed there, folks. So on that note here, folks, thank you very much here for listening into our promos here today. Tonight here, of course, for all for the radio network. We'll be back, of course, like I say, come talk to us here during the week here in the radio network. As we said, Raw Radio tomorrow afternoon from three to five. Call ID one three eight seven four four pound. Tuesday night, wrestling revisited, seven to eight. One three nine nine two six pound and Revolution one three eight zero five five pound Wednesday night outside the ropes one four one three eight seven pound from six thirty to seven thirty WWS wrestling debate one three nine nine two five pound for some eight to nine and then of course once again Revolution one three eight zero five five pound from nine to eleven p.m. Thursday night NWA Wolfpack one three eight five two one pound from nine until eleven. Friday night, of course, Revolution, 138055 pounds from 9 to 11 p.m. Saturday afternoon, Saturday afternoon, WWS Power Hour, 141364 pounds from 5 to 6. And, of course, ladies and gentlemen, from 5 to 6, next Sunday, special edition of Revolution, 138055 pounds for our Elimination Chamber 2018 prediction show. <clears throat> so there's your lineup there again, folks. And be sure to listen to us all week long here in WWS Radio Network. We'll be, of course, be talking everything from the Elimination Chamber. And also, of course, folks, in our wrestling extras, we could have some title matches pop up here, too. So be listening for some of those as well, as everybody, of course, is 
is all looking forward to taking care of business right there. So there you have it. Uh, this has been a promotion of the WWS Radio Network right here on TalkShoot.com. This is Mr. WWS Chad Hinshaw, of course. We are, we are two years older and continuing to be bolder. The radio network continues to be and will forever remain your wrestling connection. Folks, thank you very much for listening. We will see you. We'll talk to you on our shows this week in the radio network, starting with Raw Radio tomorrow afternoon from 3 to 5, one three eight seven four four pound. Take care of yourselves and each other. See you in the ring. And as always, here in the WWS Radio Network right here on TalkShoe.com. God bless everyone, and have a terrific evening and a terrific week. Take care.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.